Thanks, Sam and uh, Lauren and Elisa for blessing us today. Now, Paul, I need to apologise. I've got a cough line in my mouth, but so I'm talking and it sort of spits out as I'm talking, right? I'm not intending for it to land on you, okay? Hopefully it'll dissolve before I get to that point. <clears throat> you know, you sort of get that coughing fit and you just need to put something in there to just soothe it. Um, just uh, an advance notice for next week. Um, this month, in case you didn't realise, we are remembering the Reformation. And some of you are saying, the Reformation? what? <clears throat> the Reformation. It's uh, 500 years ago since the Protestant Reformation took place, which is probably not quite accurate. Um, it sort of took place over a number of years beforehand as well. But there's sort of a date they've put in the sand for Martin Luther on October the 31st, 1517. So I thought it would be really good for us next week to have a talk about the Reformation and um, sort of understand what God was doing that through his providence and uh, how he was uh, guiding the church and how he was um, renewing the church at the same time. So next week we're going to do a uh, a talk on the Reformation. It's a bit of a history there as well, but we'll see how God's hand was working through all that to uh, uh, build his kingdom and to grow his kingdom. So uh, I'd love for you to come and join us again next week as uh, as we talk about the, uh, the Reformation. And then we'll get back into another couple of weeks of the Holy Spirit to wrap that up. But still, at this stage, we are in the series of um, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And um, there's a famous last line of a speech given quite a few years ago. And uh, this line was, give me liberty or give me death. Now, in case you don't know where they come from, they come from Patrick Henry in uh, 1775. He uh, uttered those famous words, give me liberty or give me death. The colony of New England, or better known as America, wanted independence. And there were sort of the rousing speeches at the time. They wanted freedom from England's rule. And that was the speech he was talking about, this idea of freedom and liberty. I think freedom is the cry of the human heart. We want to be free. We want to be free. But freedom also is such an elusive thing. What is freedom really all about? What is this freedom that we want? Uh, Sometimes we struggle and strive for freedom, thinking we've got it, but only to find out when we got there we're still bound up by certain things. Well, uh, Jesus did come to truly set us free. He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free to be the people that God created us to be. And uh, today we want to see this picture here of freedom uh, as the Spirit of God dwells inside of us to empower us to live out this freedom as, uh, as his people. So if you've got your Bibles, <coughs> surprise, surprise, go back to Galatians chapter 5, where we were last week. We'll just read the first verse and we'll drop down to verses 13 and 15 from there. <coughs> For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Uh, Lord, thank you again today that we can come and gather around your eternal word. Uh, We ask and pray that Holy Spirit, as we speak specifically about you and your work in our lives in revealing Christ and unveiling the gospel to us. We pray today you would give us uh, a mind to see and hear and understand uh, the gospel message here that comes out of Galatians chapter 5. Uh, please help us now with all the other things that have crammed into our minds today that are seeking for attention or seeking for the energy of our mind. I pray that you'll help us to uh, lay them aside and to uh, think about this freedom that uh, you've called us into, into, and to think about this freedom that we get to live out in the power that you give to us, Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray that you'll bless our hearts uh, with a deeper appreciation of Christ and his gospel, and that we would apply that to our lives uh, today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as I reflected on last week's talk, I felt there was more to be gained in Galatians 5 as I went back home and was thinking through it later that day. And uh, early in the week, and I thought, yeah, I'd like to go back there again, maybe just explore a little little bit more there that Paul had opened up with the Galatians. And there is a strong note of freedom that Paul refers to uh, as he writes to the Galatians. Paul starts in chapter 2, 
where he talks about this freedom they have in Christ. And then we picked it up again today in this reading in the first verse of chapter 5 and then verses 13 as well, where he brings this freedom um, back into to play again here. And the point of freedom that Paul is getting at comes from their striving for salvation. This is what the Galatians were falling into. And uh, this freedom that he talks about then opens up also to this spirit-enabled living to live in this freedom. Uh, the people of uh, Paul's day, particularly where the Galatians were at that particular time, uh, the Jews or the religious people of, the, of, of that day were trying to achieve salvation primarily by their own efforts, by a whole system of rituals and traditions and combining that with the strict obedience of the law of the Old Testament. They thought that somehow they could proclaim before God our goodness or my right standing about look at what I've done to partake in all these rituals and traditions and to follow uh, your law and say, like, look what I've done, God. Look what I've done. That was how they were sort of seeking uh, their salvation. The problem being, though, is they couldn't keep that obedience up and they kept failing. They kept failing and failing multiple times. So every time they fail, they would try harder to do more good things to make up for the failures and try and get ahead that way. It was hopeless, though. It was truly hopeless. The harder they seemed to try, the bigger the failures seemed to be. The more I put effort into working for somehow pleasing God to earn salvation, the bigger the crash was as they failed. So what do they do? They try to put also these traditions and rituals as well. They invented quite a series of these things. And these whole uh, raft of traditions and rituals were used as a false righteousness as well to sort of still show God how good I was by keeping all these traditions and rituals. And really what they were doing in pursuing that were they just deceiving themselves even further? And if they were really willing to be honest, they would have to say they were hopelessly lost in trying to earn their way to God. This is where the Galatians were up to. So a major part of Paul's and the other apostles' preaching at that time was that Jesus of Nazareth has come as God's Messiah. He has come and perfectly fulfilled all of the right requirements or the obedience required to please God. Jesus has done it without fail. And not only did Jesus um, come and live that perfect life without fail, he also made the ultimate sacrifice for sin by his death on the cross. This is part of the gospel message that Paul and the apostles brought. And further still, Jesus has proved himself to be the Son of God, not just by his death on the cross and his perfect obedient life, but by his resurrection from the grave. Only God could do that. So this is the gospel message that Paul was bringing to them, uh, not only to the Galatians, but all of the Roman world at that particular time, and even further across to Spain, the New Testament tells us that he was heading in that direction too. And remarkably, Paul was doing all of this preaching or proclaiming from the Old Testament. He wasn't pulling out the book of Romans. He may not have actually hadn't written the book of Romans at that time. And he wasn't quoting from the sort of written gospels at that time either. He was doing all this from the Old Testament preaching the gospel and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So a major part of this letter that Paul writes to them is to call them back to this freedom that Christ has purchased for them. And he sums it up pretty well in chapter 2 for us, thinking about this um, law and trying to earn their way and this freedom that Christ brings. He says there in chapter 2, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified, that is made right before God, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, putting their trust or faith or hope in him, in order to be justified, made right before God, by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul's trying to call them back to what Christ has done freely and for us at the cross on our behalf. Paul says they're doing good works or good deeds to earn or somehow merit a right standing cannot be achieved before God by our own good works or right standing. Paul, along with the rest of the Bible, says our right standing comes from faith alone in Christ alone. Through his sin-killing, life-giving death, on the cross, on our behalf. For Paul, this is the freedom that Jesus absolutely brings. We are freed from the penalty of sin, we are freed from the judgment, eternal judgment of sin, and we're now free to live for God 
in that confidence that he has built into our lives by his death that has freed us. But on the same time, Paul doesn't say that we are free to live reckless lives of blatant, disobedient sin, just presuming on God's grace to cover our willful, intentional, sinning lives. Paul doesn't say that there doesn't give you license to just live as you please, live the wildlife because God's grace just covers it all. Paul says, no, far from it. Not at all does it do that. So here's where we're going to go as we think about this freedom to say. We are set free from slavery. We now experience the freedom of the Holy Spirit and this freedom now points to Jesus himself. Let's think about this first one here. This may be hard to grasp at first glance, but ultimately things, lives not lived in obedience to God's word, uh, will be and are enslaved towards other things. We are all servants or slaves to something. Paul's idea of slavery here in this passage is the ideal of having a relationship right with God through a bondage to rule-keeping. That's the idea here Paul talks about in this slavery. You are enslaved to this. Now, it's a good ideal to have a right relationship with God, but this ideal must be God's way and not man's way to make ourselves right with God. And Paul says here to these Galatians, the whole thing is you are sliding back towards a hopeless drudgery of trying to somehow earn this right standing. You're actually drifting back in this direction of actually earning your way there, climbing your way there, working your way there. And he picks it up for us in uh, verses 1 to 6 in chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So he's saying, don't go back to what you've been rescued from. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, this is like a picture of the law here, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who will be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Um, There's a whole picture here of Paul uh, bringing out the great doctrine that was actually picked up in the Reformation of justification by faith alone. And that's what Paul's talking about here in this. Paul's saying this, you want to be right with God by works or good deeds? Well then, you'll need to be perfect in every way all of the time. If you're going to grasp circumcision, well, you need to fulfill the rest of the law at the same time. You need to make it in every possible way. In fact, you'll be enslaved to a very, very hard taskmaster in trying to do the right things perfectly all the time, but never making it. You'll never make it, Paul says, because Paul knows from experience, and we all know from experience, we all fail. No one can live this perfect, obedient life before God. It's impossible. It's a bit like a rat in a cage. If you've ever seen them on that spinning wheel trying to get the piece of cheese, you might have seen on the TV sort of experiments they do, that rat just runs flat out on that spinning wheel trying to get that piece of cheese just, just poised, just above the rat, working as hard as he can, just trying to get that piece of cheese. The cheese has become a very hard taskmaster. The cheese is saying, if you want me, you're going to have to work really hard, but the harder that rat runs on that spinning wheel faster that spinning wheel just turns underneath him and he can't get to that piece of cheese. And sometimes he falls off. He doesn't get to it. It's a bit like us. That's what Paul's saying here. You can run and run and run and do all the good things we possibly could to earn God's favour, but we keep falling off the spinning wheel of life and we crash. But then we get up and we may try harder. We might swear less, we might drink less, we might smoke less. We might do more Bible reading, we might do more prayer, we might do more church stuff. But then we crash again because we're trying to approach God in the wrong way. All this is done, if that was the approach of how I'm going to try and earn God's favour, as a slave trying to earn something. The more I can do, the more I can show, maybe God will see that. And if that's the case, God will seem like a very hard taskmaster. It's impossible to please you, God. The more I do, the more I fail. I just can't seem to please you. 
And not only in the spiritual sense can we be enslaved, because that's an enslaving place to be in, not only in the spiritual sense, but we can be enslaved in the everyday sense of life as well. Anything can enslave us. People think money is the answer and the ideal of life if I just had some more money. We can be then enslaved for the rest of our lives in accumulating more money because we think that is what is required to set us free in this life or to give me what I need to be totally fulfilled and satisfied. It becomes enslaving. Money becomes a very cruel uh, taskmaster. We enslave ourselves to work harder and harder to the detriment often to, the, to family and to relationships around about us because we are so devoted and hooked on work because it's going to earn us more money because we think money's the answer to life and that's what's going to give me freedom. And all we do is find out at the end of all that, pursuing and accumulating money, I'm still empty. I'm still unsatisfied. I'm actually still feeling a great depth of despair within me, even with all the money I've accumulated. So we can be enslaved by anything. This is the slavery <coughs> that Paul talks about here, particularly though in the sense of earning our salvation. But the Holy Spirit has graciously come and opened up our eyes to the message of the gospel, the same gospel that Paul preached to the Galatians all these years beforehand. And as we grasp and understand what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit births within us a brand new freedom. It's a freedom we've never known before. It starts off perhaps as a small thing and grows into a larger and larger thing. We are no longer working and striving and running on that wheel of life, trying to chase that piece of cheese to actually earn our way before God. We are free from that striving and slavery of trying to earn our way to Christ. But now we've actually been made alive and made free by God's Spirit, bringing us into a whole new relationship with Jesus. But it's interesting when you think about this relationship with Jesus, it's actually like another form of slavery. It might sound a bit confusing. I said, hang on, weren't we just released from slavery? Now you're saying it brings us into another form of slavery? Well, it is another form of slavery, but this is a picture here of a willing, loving, joyful and glad serving and slavery. Not the terms of the slave you might think in the bottom of a ship coming out of Africa 400 years ago and you know, chained up and not that type of slavery at all. We now become a servant or a slave, if you like, to a kind and compassionate and loving master in Christ Jesus. Let's have a look at that here in Romans 6 that captures here this picture of that for us. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Here's this picture before of, you know, because of grace. Does that mean I can do anything? Paul says, by no means. Absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourselves, that is our person, our abilities, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is that standard of teaching? Paul's brought the gospel to the Romans and the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Philippians all over the Roman world. That's the standard of teaching that he's brought there, the gospel to freedom, to which you were once committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's another form of slavery, but it's a whole different type of slavery. It's a joyful slavery or a joyful servanthood, which you don't fully get until God's spirit unveils the gospel into your hearts. And you see, this is a great uh, servant picture to take hold of. We're no longer bound to sinful living, Paul's saying, as the Gospels come to free us. The Spirit has set us free through Christ. So now from the motivation of the Gospel, let your response, let my life now be a life of right living as thankfulness to God for all that he has done for me. So as Paul says there, so now present your members, present yourself as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification growing in our holiness and our purity before Christ. Now we willingly and freely serve Jesus Christ. So this is where Paul's coming back to here in Galatians chapter 5 as he begins to unpack this and unveil this for them. 
This is what the spirit-born freedom looks like. This is the life that Jesus now calls us to. This is what Paul is about to show us here as we looked at just partially last week. Verses 22 and 23 in chapter 5. This is, the, this is the freedom of the Spirit now working in our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says against such things there is no law. There's no restrictions. There's no restraint. There's no law against this. This is how the Spirit wants to empower us to live. This is the freedom the Spirit produces. It produces change. This is God's intention for us. He renews us in change. This freedom allows us to serve Jesus through a changed life that reflects his character. The gospel brings about change. We are now empowered to partner with the Spirit and work really, really hard to see change in our lives. I just used the word change about five times there, but that's what it's all about. It's about change. We are destined to be changed, transformed and changed. And what motivates this change is a new and higher love or affection. This new love and affection for Christ, this higher affection of Christ, overpowers all the desires of sin that would draw us back toward them. They still will be enticing as we looked at over the last couple of weeks. But there's a new, higher affection that's been birthed in our hearts by God's Spirit which overpowers those other affections as they would try and rise up and lure us or tempt us back to sinful living. The love of Christ that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit is this new, higher affection that keeps us in check and following Christ. What happens here, the Holy Spirit works in us a willingness to grow, a willingness to change, and a willingness to change in love and joy and peace. A transformed heart that is being renewed in the Holy Spirit with new desires becomes a more loving person. Primarily and first and foremost, it's a new and deeper love that will grow towards God in appreciation for who he is and what he's done for us. This is what the Holy Spirit does within our hearts. It gives us a deeper appreciation for God. And not only God, it gives us a new appreciation for other people, all people, irrespective of who they are or where they come from. Because the problem is we can be so easily in our natural state to look down upon people and be super critical real quick. We can be so easy to put people in a box. We're so easy to put people in a list. You know, they just look like a geek or a dork, don't they? He's just a real geek. We so easily mock and make fun of people behind their backs. We put them in a box. The Holy Spirit produces a new, deep, profound love within me that sees that person in a whole new light. No longer labelled in the geek box or the dork box or whatever you want to call it box, where we so easily put people, gives us a whole new light to see these people in. First of all, generally the Holy Spirit says, actually, you're not so special either, Todd. You're not the amazing person you like to think you are. God didn't come to you because you were super amazing and decided to save you because of that. The Holy Spirit actually works on you first to humble you to say, hey, you're not the person you think you are. Actually, I'm no different to that person they'll be mocking. I'm no different at all. I'm actually, without Christ, I'm a broken mess. So who am I to actually go and label somebody or put somebody in a box and to cast such an unloving judgment upon somebody? All that speaks of is pride and arrogance that I could think I could put somebody in a box like that and go and criticise somebody like that. The Spirit produces within me a new found love for God and for people to love them. The Spirit also works in us a deep freedom of peace and joy. Deep desires of peace and joy. When Jesus has been revealed within us, we are graced with a whole new level of peace that really is supernatural. It's peace that is totally out of the ordinary. The news of cancer comes along. And sure, it's an initial shock that knocks the wind right out of our sails. It takes us right off balance when that news comes along. But then this supernatural peace that the Holy Spirit works within us, this peace of Christ, begins to stabilise us. 
And this peace then begins to help us to rise above whatever fears that bad news of cancer may have given to me. And this peace also speaks into my heart and allows me to say this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This peace tells me that even if this cancer kills me, even if this cancer kills me, I will be with Christ and that is gain. Only the Holy Spirit can unveil that deep peace in our lives. <clears throat> joy is no different. Joy is no different. The joy that the Holy Spirit now renews us in and changes us in is no different. And followers of Christ here must be an evident mark of joy about them. There must be a joyful mark or characteristic about followers of Christ. It must be an evident mark of God's Spirit working within us. The freedom of this Spirit-born joy is that it's not a joy <clears throat> tied to my circumstances. Okay, for those who followed Richmond, they were very, very happy about two weeks ago. Now, the circumstances were pretty good for Richmond two weeks ago on the grand final day. They were extremely happy. You only had to watch the TV about that. But for those in Christ, my joy is not tied to my circumstances. It really, really isn't. My joy is tied to my position in Christ. Yes, life can be and will be really horrible at times. Any one of us can testify to that here at various levels. It can be really, really horrible. But I can be joyful, I can be joyful despite my circumstances. Why? Because I am safe and secure in Christ, no matter what may happen to me in this life. So joy that the Spirit births within us is not so much a circumstantial joy, it's a position joy of where we are. Paul says this remarkable thing here uh, in 2 Corinthians. He talks about this. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Now, that's ridiculous when you look at it firsthand, isn't it? Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. How could Paul speak like that? If you read the rest of that chapter and into perhaps the next few chapters later in chapter 11, you see the life that Paul experienced. It wasn't a life of circumstantial joy. He says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, because he knew who he was in Christ. So he had this deep, profound joy that carried him through the circumstances that actually said anything else but joy. But this is the joy that the uh, Holy Spirit brings into a renewed and changed life. Patience, kindness and goodness. Three character traits that we can demonstrate towards other people. The Spirit of God works in us patience, kindness and goodness that is willing to be wronged multiple, multiple times and we respond with patience and kindness. Only the Holy Spirit can work this character trait and this change within us. I could be at work or I could be involved in a club and there's this one person there who just continues to ignore me all the time. And they disregard everything I say or do. I am totally unimportant to them. Actually, to those people, I may as well not even be there. You know, you probably have come across someone who may have treated you like that somewhere along the lines. It's like you're a nobody there. And they just treat you like you're just nothing. The Holy Spirit produces within me a patience and a kindness in the freedom of Christ that can actually wear that behaviour patiently. Actually, you can take that behaviour, if need be. That's the spirit-born freedom and change that is brought into our lives through patience and kindness and goodness. We should be believers who are actually practising here, as I saw on the back of Barbara's car there many years ago, practise random acts of kindness. It should be the mark of who we are, practising random acts of kindness here is demonstrating this spirit-born freedom that he's given to us. Faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, three more attitudes that the spirit frees us to live by here. I'm empowered to be faithful to people. I am free to live out the life of Christ and actually demonstrate faithfulness, that I'm a person in my word. I actually do what I say I'm going to do. I don't treat people with contempt any longer by not really caring whether I'm faithful to them or not. Because when I'm not faithful to somebody, I'm actually saying, I don't really care about you all that much. You don't rate too highly on my value scale. 
So whether I turn up to an appointment or not doesn't really matter. Hey, but you said we were going to meet every second Tuesday at 7pm at this location and you regularly keep missing. And you don't even bother to ring or text, you just don't turn up. I'm sort of thinking you don't really care that much about me. But the Spirit produces within us a willingness here to be faithful that goes above and beyond whatever difficulties might be in our lives at the time, to remain faithful to people as best we possibly can. This is the change that God's Spirit brings in our hearts and lives as the Gospels unveiled to us and we see his work working through us. Now, we may not be equally strong in all these areas. Most probably we won't be. We might be stronger in some and weaker in others. And that's all right. That doesn't mean we don't try and, as it were, increase the other ones. We surely do. We try and be as best we can in all those areas, but we may be stronger in others. That's fine. But the whole, this is what the Spirit does. We work with the Spirit as he places these new and fresh desires in our hearts, and it's our responsibility to do so. It is absolutely our responsibility to do so. There's no such thing here as I can't change. That's just who I am. Take me the way I am. That doesn't cut it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us this new heart with new desires to say, yes, you can change. And you can do this through the power of Christ and his gospel working in and through your lives. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us to be zealous about a Christian life, zealous about change. He says in verse 11, Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Committing ourselves to zealously go down the path of change, working with the power the Holy Spirit gives to us and working with the desires he places in our heart. There's no excuse you to say, I can't change. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You do it in the power of God's Spirit and you do it based on the truth of the Gospel. So when the Spirit frees us to live like this and to develop these character traits and to see this change happening, which can be starting off very small and mushrooming and growing into something larger, and it may be at slow pace, it may be at fast pace, it'll be all over the shop. When the Spirit does this, There's tremendous upside. There is absolutely tremendous upside when we see this change take place in our life. And the most spectacular thing about this upside is that it makes Jesus look spectacular. That is the upside of this spirit-born change into freedom of this life that he's now called us to. The upside is it makes Jesus look glorious. And this is what exchange is all about. It's about being on mission to make Christ look spectacular. And this is one of our chief aims here. And this is a great way that we can begin to fulfil this aim of seeing Christ be made known through the greatest shepherd in the area and across this world globally by changed lives reflecting the Holy Spirit's work through us. We can demonstrate the change that Jesus brings to us when we work hard, because it will be hard work at times, because we are dealing with, as we spoke the last couple of weeks, of remaining sin that wants to resist and actually wants to fight against this change, but when we work hard with the Spirit's power and the Spirit's desire working through us, it can become a profound witness into the community that we live in. They can see something radically different about us. Here it says in Matthew chapter 5 here about letting our good work show. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They're meant to be seen. 1 Peter 2, chapter 11 and 12, same thing. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Very similar to where we were last week. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. Okay, so do good deeds, conduct, character, the way you live. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Visible. Visible. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew, and this is exactly what Peter is saying here as he writes uh, this letter as well. The Spirit's work to free us to now live for Christ is meant to be on display. Maybe we should have a TV show instead of the block, the fruit of the Spirit. Not sure it'll get the same ratings, but I mean, would it be great? It'd probably make good TV, I'd reckon. People are to see us living differently. It's meant to be on display. The community of Greater Shepparton should be able to look into the exchange community and see something different, see something changed about these people. 
you guys have a different sort of love for each other as the greater community of Shepherd looks in on the exchange community. You are actually really patient with each other, like a patience I've never really seen before. You are faithful and kind to the sort of people I wouldn't even give the time of day to. They should be looking into the community and seeing things like that. They should be seeing a change. They should be then asking the question, what drives you guys to be like that? What's the reason for the hope that lies within you? What is this change? Where has it come from? These good deeds in this character are meant to be visible. They're meant to be seen. They're meant to be attractive. They're meant to glorify God, as it tells us there. They will glorify God on the day of visitation. It's meant to actually, as it were, point to, hang on, you guys are living for something different. You guys have got a whole different agenda. What is your agenda? This should then lead into opportunities to share the message of the gospel. And in this day and age, uh, Laurel and I were reflecting yesterday, it's a difficult world to share the gospel, in particular this Western world of comfort and ease and prosperity. There's got to be something attractive about our lifestyle that will actually show this change and maybe create gospel opportunities. Men who were once firecrackers with their temper, they're mellow, they're self-controlled. What on earth has happened to you? The last time I saw you, you were punching holes in the plaster. And now you're just sort of mellow. Well, I'm glad you asked. Actually, I broke my hand the last time I did that. I'm not going to do that again. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit. God, the gospel actually has renewed me. It's an opportunity to share that. This is the spirit-empowered gospel change that gives us credibility to our witness. It's our lives that back up our testimony or our witness. Sometimes, though, I'm afraid when I look around and look at perhaps believers here and there, I see something different than what Paul's talking about. Sometimes I see joyless Christians not showing joy at all. And I know there'll be varying ways of expressing that, but there's some people who say, just can't tell, just can't tell. Sometimes I see Christians who just aren't kind. Just aren't kind. Sometimes I, I, I see Christians who just show unbelievable selfishness. Unbelievable selfishness. And I can easily ask myself here, and I do, what's lacking here? Because I look at my own life at times and I say, what's lacking here? For joylessness, is, is life so hard and miserable that, that the Spirit can't help me to be joyful? Is it that hard? Or is that I'm just not responding to the desires of the Spirit and I'm not actually using the power that he gives to exhibit that joy? Am I just not responding to the desires of the Spirit and the power that he gives to be kind? Am I just not responding to the desires of the Spirit and the power that he gives to be faithful? Why is my conduct sometimes really poor? The Spirit gives us this power and the Spirit gives us those desires to change. I'm confident, though, of really better things in Christ. My confidence sits and rests in him. Because I look at him, I see that he makes this life of spirit-empowered freedom possible. Absolutely possible. Consider Jesus here at the cross in Mark chapter 15. Uh, Verse 39, it says this, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. That's a remarkable statement here that this Roman centurion made. Let's just consider what Jesus has been through perhaps in the last couple of hours, where the centurions probably witnessed all of that that's taken place. Jesus has been mocked and ridiculed, despised, rejected, you name it. The high priest and all of their followers have been milling around Jesus in the agonies here of being nailed to this cross and they're hurling all their mockery and their abuse and their ridicule as best they can, trying to get all the laughs they can from their gathered mates around about them. Come on, Jesus. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Surely you can do that. Jesus, what sort of a king do you proclaim to be? You're nailed to a cross like a peasant criminal. Come on, do something, Jesus. Come on, Jesus, 
Perform one of those miracles now. Come on, pull those nails out. Come on, Jesus, do something. That, amongst who knows whatever else they were hurling at him for ridicule and abuse and rejection, all sorts of degrading and demeaning things to make Jesus the butt of all their jokes and the laughing stock. But what does Jesus do through all of that? What does Jesus do through all of that sort of horrendous situation? Jesus, who's filled with the Spirit without measure, maintains his composure faultlessly. His character remains totally and completely intact. Jesus, with perfect, perfect self-control, patience and kindness, bears with those mockers and those executioners. Jesus, with absolute peace and faithfulness towards God, stays the course of the cross. Because he could have pulled those nails out. He could have called 10,000 angels down and delivered himself from the cross just like that. Jesus, with absolute peace and faithfulness towards God, stays the course of the cross. Jesus, with perfect and complete love, dies for sinners. See, Jesus lets his character in the most challenging of circumstances, shine out to the glory of God. And what happens? A Roman centurion sees all that and witnesses all those things and he says, truly this man was the son of God. Amazing, amazing. This is the same freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. This is the same freedom that Jesus makes available to us. This is the same freedom that Jesus calls us into and this is the same freedom that the Holy Spirit empowers us to now live. A radical freedom that should witness to the power of the gospel in our lives here in this greatest shepherding community and in the world globally around about us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this freedom that you have brought into our lives. Thank you that you have set us free from the slavery of sin, the slavery of thinking we could possibly earn our way to you. You've set us free by the gift of your son Jesus coming to take all of our sin away and empowering us with his spirit to now live a life of freedom. I pray today that Holy Spirit, you would continue your work of empowerment within us, growing within us, renewing these desires, strengthening these desires, giving us this power that we would now, by faith, engage ourselves in the change of love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and patience and faithfulness and self-control. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would empower us to live this way and that our lives would be a reflection of the power of the gospel, Lord, into this community. And I pray that, Lord, they would see something different about us and that we would have the courage to take hold of those opportunities to say and give our answer for the reason, for the hope that lies within us. Help us today, Lord. Help us as we fail and fall, as we all do. Lord, as it were, to stand up and to go again and to be thankful for your forgiving grace in every aspect of our lives. Uh, Lord, today we bless you and thank you for that and ask uh, that blessing upon us in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Rob's going to come and uh, lead us around the communion table and uh, Joel's not here, so we're going to get um, Nathan and uh, Imre. If you guys could just distribute the elements, that would be really, really good. Thanks, Todd. Uh, Mention of the Reformation, 500 years ago, October 1517, when uh, Martin Luther nailed... 95 statements to a door of a church in Germany. And that really changed the world. We may not have learnt much about that at school, but um, you can Google it and find out a lot more, of course. But it changed a lot of thinking about the Lord's Supper too. And um, it's an important matter um, because that was instituted by Jesus as a visible word of the gospel. And uh, just as we hear audible words uh, of the Lord speaking uh, through Todd or wherever, um, so we have a visible word today to remind us of the gospel truth. And um, 
it has a deep significance for those who participate by faith. And the Reformation actually taught that it was important that this be explained um, because each time it's carried out and to each generation to avoid the problems that had developed over 16 centuries before um, from the time when Jesus instituted it, which is why I need to say something now. Um, And all I want to do today is bring some of those threads um, together uh, about the Lord's Supper and about freedom that Todd's been talking about. One of the extremes that operated... um, about the Lord's Supper is that it's effective regardless of what state people are in. And it's a ritual that's just done uh, together. People just need to turn up. And the other extreme is perhaps it just develops feelings and emotions. It just becomes sort of a ritual like an Anzac Day service, a memorial type thing. But uh, these um, extremes, of course, are corrected by understanding the Bible and what it tells us. And Todd was talking about freedom. That is a very um, important aspect of what the Lord's Supper teaches us because we have to go back uh, to the fact that Jesus uh, was sharing this supper, that's called the Last Supper, uh, with his disciples in that upper room and that was actually celebrating the Passover, that meal that Israel... Uh, partook when they were in slavery in Egypt. And it was the, the night before the, that terrible and final tenth plague that was going to uh, come down upon all of the firstborn of every family, that is every family that didn't have the covering of the blood of the lamb. God was going to demonstrate his great salvation for the descendants of Abraham to whom He'd given a great promise that Abraham would have many descendants. They would go to uh, a place, uh, that a promised land, and they would be abundantly blessed. And so that night was um, God instituted that celebrate the Passover and that would be celebrated by every year of, by Abraham's descendants uh, in respect to the great salvation. They were, in a sense, participating again uh, and reminding, being reminded and being involved with that cel- celebration. And, of course, uh, there are many aspects to that. Um, it, it sort of developed, uh, the Passover meal that was celebrated year after year, it developed from that first night uh, to many things. But it all came back to... Re- be reminded that it was a spotless um, and lamb without blemish that was taken and to be slaughtered and the blood was to be covered uh, on the household entrance and uh, the family that was to be eating that meal was to eat the whole lamb. Uh, It was to also take some bread without yeast and bitter herbs and spices and be prepared for... um, leaving uh, that land of slavery in Egypt. Because people might forget uh, what great salvation God wrought uh, for them. And uh, unless they experienced that in some way and, and recognised that they were in that slavery before, then they, they would not understand that they could live that empty way of life without God. And of course we see all the parallels uh, through that imagery and through that actual event uh, in the Lord's Supper, which Jesus instituted and actually uh, transformed from that meaning from the Old Testament and the the Passover to what we call the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist by some. And even that's changed a little bit. Uh, It was done in, in a sense of a meal, but now we have a sort of token meal. But we understand that freedom needed to come for us too. But not like for the Israel, but in a much greater sense. Because that's what Paul talks about in Galatians. That we need to be freed from what's inside us. And our hearts desiring to go away from God. 
and we need to be freed. And that's what the sacrifices couldn't do. The blood of animals, of goats and bulls, they couldn't free Israel from what they really needed is freedom uh, from sin, freedom from that empty way of life. So when Jesus came to celebrate the Passover, he said, I've eagerly desired this. I've eagerly desired to eat this with you and drink this cup. And so should we be reminded again of the great salvation that God's wrought for us, the great freedom that we have. So let's uh, be reminded. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you for what Jesus has done for us, that he came and suffered as a lamb of God, the lamb without spot or blemish, sent by you and your wonderful love to redeem us, to cleanse us, to renew us and change us to be more like Jesus for your glory. Lord, we pray that we would go on from this day, be reminded again and again of your great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. And this is what Jesus said when he took the bread, he'd given thanks and he gave it to them. And he said, take, eat, this my body I give to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do in remembrance of me. Father God, we thank you that we've been privileged to come together and be Reminded of your great salvation, how you freed us from sin. And so, Lord, keep us faithful, keep us true, keep us in step with the Spirit. Help us not to grieve the Spirit or to quench the Spirit, but help us to be reminded again and again of the freedom that you've given us, that we have not deserved, but you've given us freely through your great love in Jesus' name. Amen. What's next? Thanks, Rob. Thanks, guys. We'd love you to stay uh, for some uh, coffee and cake and um, just enjoy some more fellowship there. If anybody would like to catch up with me, we'd love to see you, um, pray with you, ask any question you might want at all. Uh, other than that, uh, be blessed and um, enjoy some coffee and cake. Thank you.